Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole from Wild for Change, and you're listening to AAA Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wild for Change podcast. Today, we're speaking with Judy Wilson, who formerly served, served as Cook P. Chief of the Neskunleth Indian Band, and she is from the Sequepam Nation. We're going to speak about the Wolf Treaty, a treaty of cultural and environmental survival. Judy has knowledge, experience, and an extensive background in First Nations land rights, human rights, children and family jurisdiction, emergency management, and supports a wide range of issues, including climate action, justice reform, environmental, and animal rights. Currently, she continues to work with several various Assembly of First Nations Chiefs Committees at the national level, and current boards include the Global Indigenous Council and Royal British Columbia. Internationally, she was the lead on many national and provincial delegations to COP27 and United Nations forums in Geneva and New York. We're speaking about the wolf today because its continued survival is dependent on us. Two million wolves cohabited North America with the native people before European colonization. Now it's estimated fewer than 6,000 wolves exist in the contiguous United States and only occupy 10% of its historic range. Wolves are a keystone species and they are vital and a necessary part of an ecosystem, but they're under attack and they're in need of federal protection. Thank you, Judy, for being here today and speaking to us about wolves and the wolf treaty. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me today. Yes, I'm I'm very eager to speak with you uh, about the wolves because they are in need of our help. And I wanted to bring light about the wolf treaty, bring awareness to it. So can you explain why the wolf treaty was created um, and when it was created? Yeah, the uh, wolf treaty is one of the highest signed uh, treaties amongst our tribal people. Uh, we have the Buffalo Treaty uh, throughout North America. We also have the Grizzly Bear Treaty, which was uh, signed by many, many nations. And uh, after that, the Wolf Treaty came about because of the onslaught and the culling and the displacement of um, wolves from their habitat. And, uh, you know, in our culture, in our way as tribal people, we we know the wolf has many names and, you know, we, we have wolves in all of our territories and we have our origins. Uh, some of the nations have their origins that they are, not only are the wolves relatives, but uh, they're our ancestors that we came from the wolves. Uh, they are a keystone species and we hold the wolf in high esteem because the wolf taught us so many things about hunting and about living in harmony and balance with our environment and has guided and influenced us in many ways. Many of our people have wolves as our uh, guide or our spiritual uh, guidance. And, uh, you know, a lot of this is from really the beginning of time because the wolf and the way they live and care for their families and their, their pack and their, just each other, you know, that gave us knowledge and understanding and 
our place uh, in connection with Mother Earth and uh, all of creation, really. So, you know, that that is important uh, as a teacher and uh, an ancestor of ours. So, uh, you know, it really uh, brought a lot to our people on survival and how we would live in harmony with one another and Mother Earth and uh, be respectful to to the wolf family. And so as a, a guide and a teacher, it's really important. So the tribal people came together and, you know, because of what was happening to the wolves uh, by state government and by industry and, and from uh, those taking up the habitat of the wolves and displacing them, the same thing happened to our tribal people. We were removed from the land and many of our nations were erased. Uh, they were um, displaced and the uh, through the doctrine, the colonial doctrine of discovery, you know, they were uh, saying we, we couldn't own land under Terra Nellius, that the land was vacant. And clearly it wasn't. Our tribes existed here way before that. And same with the wolves. They were even here before people were here. So I think it's important that the uh, tribal people came up uh, with their own way, which is by treaty. And it's actually our own uh, laws and our own ways of life. So it seemed very natural to come up with that inter-tribal treaty to um, create awareness about the wolves and to work together collectively and collaboratively amongst our nations. So part of it was um, the gray wolf, as you're aware, maybe some of your listeners are aware that it's uh, extinct in most of the states right now. And the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, uh, I think through their data, they're saying there's about 6,000 gray wolves uh, that exist, you know, in some parts of the states, not all parts. And that... um, you know, there's some, you know, the data, you know, north, north of the border, but, you know, there's been so much effects on the gray wolf in the lower 48 states. So in the treaty, they identify all of this information. And there's also the uh, impact to the U.S.-Mexico border, the Mexican wolves, and also the uh, south of the U.S. Uh, with, you know, uh, the Mexican, as I mentioned, but uh, also in the north as well. So, you know, the wolves don't stop at these boundaries, the Mexican-U.S. boundary or the Canadian-U.S. Uh, uh, boundary. We call them medicine lines. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there there's no uh, boundary to the wolf and there's really no uh, boundary to our people because we existed before those borders were put in place. And uh, I think the treaty, the the biggest part of it was to honor and recognize and revitalize, uh, you know, the wolf and um, their habitat. So the, all of the tribes that signed it was, you know, to restore that order and balance that's needed. And our people, as I mentioned, were caretakers and stewards of the land. So the nations came together and they're they're committed and doing everything that they can, uh, which is our inherent uh, sacred responsibility uh, to protect the wolves. And um, 
the lands that the wolves need. So that's so important that we come together culturally and spiritually to do that. And I think a big part of that is, you know, um, preserving the territories so that it could, it could be uh, not overdeveloped and encroached and, um, you know, with all the extractive resources and the pipelines and all that that displace the wolves and the ranching as well. Because, you know, how do you, um, we've coexisted with wolves and it's like, how do you coexist when you're pushing into their territory, into their uh, areas when government and states allow that and the U.S. Uh, uh, wildlife, uh, fish and wildlife allow that as well. And the other thing too that's happened is uh, the U.N. declaration came about and uh, most of these uh, governments signed it now and it's accepted. So there's, you know, the human rights uh, framework, but it's also in being a human rights framework, it for Indigenous people, we have the right to our culture and revitalization and uh, to our territories. And that mean includes the wolves. So I think that's uh, to protect and recover uh, the wolves. That's going to be so important for a collective effort to do that. So in, you know, part of that framework is the UN declaration. So it, it's signed by many people across, across Turtle Island, as we call it. And, uh, you know, we, we want to be able to look at conservation. Um, you know, it's a big part of that. And also, you know, um, the work on the culture, um, government to government, uh, uh, consultation and relationships. And, you know, looking what does it really mean un under the Endangered Species Act, too. So there's like a lot of work that went into the uh, wolf treaty that's important like research continued research and uh, one part we looked at was conflict reductions in the territories so uh, like a lot of what we as our people did it was a lot with coexistence even when the first settlers came uh, you know under our our, our ways uh, you know we made space for them but it was still under our laws and our um, standards, I guess, if you will. And with the colonial doctorate of discovery, it kind of turned that on its head because it was more about, you know, them owning the land and them having this economy. It wasn't living in that balance and that harmony. So it was like an opposite law to our law, uh, living in harmony and balance with all of creation. So um, I think that's the other part that's important to understand uh, the displacement and dispossession of the lands from the wolves is same thing that happened to our people. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's amazing there. Um, what few people may not understand is protecting indigenous land and your culture is protecting wolf territory and there's ensuring their survival as well. As you said, they are your ancestors, so it's going hand in hand. This is not. This is not just. Um, we're all connected. It's not just about one species. It's about everybody living in harmony. And if you affect one area, you there's a ripple effect affecting some other being. 
So that Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples is, is very important because it's all encompassing. It's not just about you or the wolf. It's about everything that's in the ecosystem. Correct. Yeah. And we have to get back to that because the world with the climate crisis, which is man-made, we're way off that balance and we need to get back to it. And it's going to take a lot of work. It can be done, uh, but it's going to take a lot of effort and uh, change of that mindset. And I know, you know, we, this is the great shift, the great consciousness, the great uh, shake up right now it mm-hmm. is really within ourselves to come to those conclusions that uh, the way we've uh, created the economy and the lifestyles aren't sustainable there. We can already see with uh, post-COVID, uh, the climate crisis is here in uh, British Columbia. We have, we were the epicenter of the climate crisis a few years ago. Uh, we had flooding, we had a heat dome, we had wildfires, we had just about everything you could think of, um, except earthquakes. Uh, but we have earthquakes uh, where, where they haven't been at a great magnitude. But, you know, uh, pretty much we had everything, the, the worst catastrophic weather you could um, think of. And a lot of our people are still displaced from that. Wow. And that's the climate crisis and it's being continually fueled by the emissions that go in the air Mm -hmm. so really the wolves are reminding us saying that life is not sustainable and we need to change and we need to change now so the wolves carry a very important message if the wolves are gone that means another corner uh, keystone species is gone that means we're tipping even further off balance than we are so when we're fighting for the wolves we're fighting for the existence of everyone exactly Exactly. And I think that's the most important message that needs to be brought out there to the public is that it's not, it is for the wolf, but it's not just for the wolf. It's Mm -hmm. for everybody. Because, and and we were just discussing this before we um, started the podcast is how much the wolf contributes to the ecosystem and what happened when they were reintroduced into Yellowstone is that Um, trees that were not growing because the elk had overgrazed were growing again and the water was cleaner and the fish came back and songbirds came back and there's this ripple effect. But I think what human beings miss is that that affects us too. It's not just somewhere miles away in a forest or a national park or you know, in the mountains that this ecosystem could be thriving, that affects the whole planet. Yeah, exactly. And we have the same situation in many of our territorial lands. They've been, uh, you know, the resource extractivism and, you know, degraded the land. So we Mm -hmm. have to restore and rebuild those lands. And it's with the traditional ecological knowledge and the knowledge of, our people that they have from thousands and thousands of years, they have to be leading the way, same way climate crisis or indigenous knowledge is important, but also in the restoration with uh, conservation with uh, wolves that needs to be led by indigenous knowledge. So I think it's going to be really important uh, because a lot of our elders say with the science, our indigenous science, you know, that's gained over thousands and hundreds of years of knowledge, uh, which is going to be important, especially the worldview we just talked about. I think, you know, our 
it's going to be very important to incorporate that. So it's the best available science we have. And, uh, you know, with some of the Western science and they need to work collaboratively together. And Yellowstone was one of those uh, positive outcomes. And, you know, we need more of those stories from our territories so that we can all work together for better recovery objectives and um, a better uh, way of life because we got to come up with those solutions now we can't continue the way we are no exactly we're we're heading we're going at speed lightning right now towards Mm -hmm. like you said with what's happening with the climate crisis with the traditional ecological knowledge is your knowledge presented to governments um, to show how viable it is and sustainable it is? I I think there's some projects now that like what we talked about, but there needs to be more and there has to be more willingness and openness from like the U S fish and wildlife services and uh, government and uh, some of the legislation. I think that's where some of this uh, wolf treaty was aimed at is changing some of the legislation as well. And also, um, you know, I think it's really important with the data because I know like when we talk about climate crisis, we talk about, you know, over half the species are becoming extinct now and decimation of 83%. And it's just mind boggling of the mammals on earth has been accelerated. So we actually accelerated beyond that. And, and it's unimaginable that, that we're headed for a 96% extinction of the mammals on earth. And uh, that includes us. Right? Well, that's so that's the thing is that people don't understand is that when they go, then we're next. Yeah, yeah. But I'm we're, sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no, that's all good. I think because there's a, that connection uh, when we say um, the wolf are, is our relative and our ancestor, uh, you know, it's so important to tie that to know they're part of us and whatever happens to the wolves will happen to us. So I think that's the significant message here is we need to be able to um, work together to change that. And uh, you know, it's, it's good that you, you did that uh, research on the Yellowstone. I seen some of the articles that came out, so they were very positive, but we need more of those, those uh, that work and the government to government, relations with our tribal people and everyone involved, you know, the NGOs and, you know, the people that have been working in this area for uh, quite some time. We need to all figure out ways and, you know, that might be legislation, that might be uh, protection under the enlisting as endangered. Uh, It could be a a number of different ways uh, through a meaningful process, a free prior informed consent and um, that uh, we all step up in that way so that we can um, deal with that. And, and we can't be hiding behind uh, the economy and just think it's just about the economy or just think it because really uh, what uh, benefits actually go back to our people. Most of the benefits from the, you know, the current economy go to 1%. And that's not even uh, going back to everyone, right? Uh, So really, it's not the structure that's going to sustain uh, over time. It's the whole economy has to change. So imagine all the work that we do 
for the wolf will have these ripple effects on everything, climate crisis, the economy, uh, our way of life coexisting. But I all I believe it'll be in a better way, uh, you know, than than what we have now, the systems that we have now. And that's the importance and that's the value we place on the wolves uh, that that, you know, they're going to show us a better way here. And they and they do. Uh, but, um, you know, the people that are have the most control over this situation for the wolves is not understanding what yeah. what they do contribute what do you feel to the public is the biggest misconception of the wolf? Oh, just the stories. Um, the stories they grow up on uh, the big bad wolf, you know, the True, red riding, right the type thing. It starts right there, but then that's not the stories we grew up with. We grew up how uh, we originated, like that we had uh, our ancestors came from the wolves. Uh, the stories we came up with is how they taught us to hunt uh be respectful of the environment and mother earth and uh uh all the creation and how to be uh strong but gentle uh and how to uh, care for their family and how uh socially important it is uh to have those connections so we learned a lot from the wolves and that's the stories our most of our tribal people uh grew up with and so we respected and valued the wolf um but the other narrative, the uh, colonial narrative, is you fear the wolf, uh, you're you're scared of the wolf. The wolf will bite you. The wolf yeah. will eat you, type of thing. Which which is not. Uh, they mostly avoid humans uh, as much as they can, uh, unless I guess they're provoked in a way. But that's the stereotypical image, uh, and and then the media, the films, and you know, all of those things uh, exploited it even further. So people grew up in fear of wolves. So, but once you, I think you connect with them and get to know them, uh, they're truly amazing and uh, just beautiful and just uh, have this amazing knowledge. And and there's a lot of different wolf Wolf families, wolf uh, nations from all the four hemispheres. So, um, and we could have a better economy with, you know, ecotourism, uh, photography, and educational tourism, and learning and uh, publishing literacy. There's like so much that could come out of a wolf economy, if you will, uh, than, than uh, just culling and killing them. Um, Yellowstone probably had a lot more people come to their parks uh, because because of that, right? And, I agree. Uh, yeah, I yeah. Agree. Because at one time, one time, eco or tourism, eco tourism uh, was bringing in as much as oil and gas. Uh, so that's our stats from here, uh, north of the border. So I always thought, why aren't we uh, wow. investing more? And tourism than uh, than oil and gas then right because the numbers were increasing so I used to know an indigenous fellow that worked in tourism so he would send me stats and 
that was one of the stats I got on my phone one day. He, he said, I'd like to share this with you. And he texted it to me. And I was going like, well, that's a really cool stat. And I, I told him I'm going to use that stat <laughs> because it's so important that, you know, that we uh, we look at alternative ways. And that could be one of the other ways. And we also need to get better education. So decolonize, like what I said, the stereotypes of wolves. Right. And then develop better programs so that we can um, change those mindsets about wolves and have better education and understanding and better cultural connections with our, with our wolves. And uh, a lot of our people still hold the, the uh, sacred um, ceremonial bundles, uh, you know, for protection of our wolves and, you know, the, um, as guides and, uh, cultural spiritual uh, knowledge so those are really important to us so you know they one other stat that that's actually in our uh, wolf treaty is that there's about a hundred and fifteen hundred thousand wolves worldwide and um, you know there's still um, really uh, concerns for them and also that you know, when they try to compare, you know, the killings by wolves, I think there's more uh, dog bites or dog attacks than there are in regard to wolves. So there's lots yeah. of important stuff we have to gather and, and change that narrative that they've painted about the wolves. So I think, uh, you know, that's a lot is not founded and, you know, that we have to have a, a good um we call education and awareness for that. So, you know, that we can change that part of the history and also look toward more of a coexistence uh, way forward. Yeah. I think the, the programming that, um, you know, since colonization has been created here, I think the programming is way off. Like you said, there's more dog bites than there are, wolf attacks. And mm -hmm. I, I, I read that in Wyoming, the wolf is listed as a predator, even though wolf predation affects less than 1% of livestock. So mm -hmm. that picture that's being painted is inaccurate completely. And <clears throat> like you said, all you need to do is spend a little bit of time in nature and you can learn so much. You can learn so much from them and what they have to, the teachings they have to offer us. And, and how we can live our life, uh, at, you know, co in coexistence with each other. Um, I had a question about in the treaty, it was mentioned that what affects the gray wolf in the lower 48 states is affecting the wolves at the U.S.-Canada border and at the U.S.-Mexico border. So can you explain to us that cause and effect relationship? Well, a lot of it's the culling. So in the lower 48 states, uh, three of those states, Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana, some 3,500 wolves have been killed since 2011. That's outdated data again. But, you know, it's more, probably more increased. So yeah. what happened is the removal of those uh, state protections on wolves. So they're just opening up for the culling and the aerial killing. Uh, I think that's uh, that's even really, unbelievable. Yeah, because that's even uh, without the trophy hunting and trapping uh, that the uh, packs 
uh, you know, are being, you know, opened up that way. And, and it's the same that's happening up here. The, the same kind of aerial killing is just totally beyond uh, comprehension what happens to the, you know, the wolves with that. And there's so, not even a name for that because that's beyond being aggressive. It's murder. It's murder. Yeah. I just can't, I just can't imagine, you know, uh, a pack of wolves there do maybe even not, you know, far away from even our, our any of the t- areas, towns or civilization and uh, a, a helicopter will come in and just, uh, you know, shoot them all and, and take out whole packs and stuff, you know, yeah. I think this atrocious and, you know, so the removal of federal protections is one of the main things. And also, um, you know, it's not done in consultation with our Indigenous people. And, you know, those uh, wolf management plans are just mostly motivated by political interests, not mm-hmm. any of the scientific basis most ca- cases like that. So that, um, that in one of the studies, I think they concluded that the existing wolf populations in the Rocky Mountains, Great Lakes and Southwest are below minimum. So uh, they need viable sizes to revitalize to ensure that they're survival. So right. the levels are dropping. That's the other uh, part of it. Uh, and I think that, you know, then that happens, the, the genetics are impacted because of the inbreeding and stuff like that. And right. you know, so there's a lot to consider. And then plus wolves uh, require large tracts of territory. So, you know, um, there's a lot of um, knowledge that's needed to uh, revitalize the, uh, the wolves. And, but I think just by culling and removing them and, uh, you know, murdering them, isn't the answer. Uh, they, that's what happened to our people. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. Our people survived, so you know we're working for the survival of the wolves now. What's so sad is, you know, there are, there's so much research done about the wolf, and you know, I, I've read in a study as well that when the wolves in Yellowstone, um, their stress hormones are elevated because they know they're being hunted. So, could you imagine mm-hmm. living your life every day trying to raise your pups and, and try to survive, but also know that you are being sought after. Yeah. You want to yeah. be murdered. And so they, they have that intuition. They have that inclination that they know that they're not safe. Mm-hmm. And in that same study, it, it, it mentioned that the pack size has a lot to do with the health and the viability of the existence of the wolf and the bigger the pack, the better. Um, and I don't know if you would know this answer, but I am curious as to what the wolf pack size was before colonization to now. Uh, they, they would have been managed uh, because of, I guess, the leader. There's always like a leader of the pack and some might split off, you know, uh, into two different packs. But it's like uh, our people, I guess, uh, we would know uh that balance again in, in the survival of the um how we would uh be able to hunt in a certain area so they need certain hunting territories so if it got too large i imagine uh it w- might branch off because okay. i don't see how it would 
continue because they would need, they would sort of know uh, how manageable that would be. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that's the, it, they were a society, like they are a society, just like our people are. So uh, they would have the, and then they would have to probably find new, newer hunting ranges and stuff like that. So um, again, it would be uh, managed that way naturally with our natural law. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important to uh, understand. And then just the conflict reductions, I think our Indigenous knowledge could bring a lot to that awareness and how they could coexist better. Because right now, I think um, what the different reports are, they there, there needs to be uh, better reporting and inclusion of our Indigenous knowledge into it so that we could look at uh, addressing any livestock conflicts and um, how they could coexist uh, in a better way. I think that was some of the other things that happened with the Buffalo too, when they were looking at coexisting with uh, cattle. Right. Yeah. And um, some areas though uh, need to be like where they're closed off areas because uh, the state government keeps giving permits and licenses and all that to go into these sensitive areas. And uh, there just needs to be probably research on some of those areas where maybe that they would set apart those lands and those areas. Um, and then so that, you know, that we know we, we shouldn't be putting uh, cattle or houses or, you know, uh, invading those sensitive habitat areas. So I think yeah. that's in part in, in working more uh, with the, uh, knowledge of the wolf and our indigenous knowledge on a better better uh uh conflict reduction type programs and uh where we could work together in a better way uh so we can all exist right and i thank you for bringing up that point it's not taken into account that we are encroaching into we're well beyond encroaching into sensitive places i mean there's really no real wild spaces left because we just keep moving into these areas where these ecosystems were once thriving and the wildlife knew exactly how to um, take care of the land basically just by their sheer existence and it's just it's a it's shameful that not any of this is taken into account yeah because we have to all work and the will treaty is the goal is that um the tribal peoples uh, to be equal partners with the state and the federal and provincial authorities in the true recovery and future management of the wolf so that's where you know the tribes were working towards and the treaty could still be signed it's still open for signature and uh, they can still sign the treaty to be a partner and supporter Mm-hmm. Uh, for the intent and spirit intent of the treaty. So I think that's wonderful that it's open like that. And, you know, to many of our uh, First Nations in, uh, you know, uh, north of the border and south of the border, it's still circulating and that your program picked up on that. That's really great. So uh, more uh, listeners could uh, learn about it, but also additional additional tribes if they're interested uh, could look at that because when we do a lot of the work it's all by ceremony so we are looking at a four hemisphere um, ceremony to bring all the uh, wolf nations together so up here 
on in the north of the medicine line, we have quite a few nations that their origins are from the wolves. So it's pretty interesting uh, to hear the stories and in our nation and the Sequatin nation, we have our uh, stories of the wolf. Uh, one is the wolf and uh, Wolverine. Uh, they used to like live together. And because they're both hunters, uh, they learned from each other, but the, the area started getting depleted with animals. So Wolf decided to move to a, a bigger area and he became, well, he was a very successful hunter and um, there became less beaver where the uh, Wolverine was. So he went to visit his brother, the Wolf, but Wolf didn't share his food with them and kind of insulted him in, in a certain way. And uh, so then Wolf's area became less, I guess, you know, a lot of encroachment and stuff like that. And um, then he went to Wolverine and Wolverine treated him the same. And so what it teaches us in our laws is we got to treat and respect each other and uh, share your food. When people come into your lodge or your, your home, uh, you share your food and you treat them with respect. And also, I guess there's so many ways to look at that story. Uh, respecting the territory, the hunting territory, when respecting the way food is provided uh, as well, not to overhunt or over. Uh, and then if there is uh, other people encroaching in the area that you have to have those man natural law management principles uh, so that you can ensure food for everyone. So <laughs> that's just a little story from our our, our neck of the woods uh, and I'm sure a lot of the tribes have their stories too so the wolf uh, continues to be a great teacher to us and uh, there is a film called um, Almost Ancestors and it's about the Mexican uh, wolves and they tell a beautiful story in that film and, and I could share the link with you and uh, yes. your listeners could connect on with it it just shows and depicts the way our tribal people are so closely related. Um, so Almost Ancestors is a very important film if anyone wants to learn more about the wolves and what's happening with them in the Southern Hemisphere and the support that's needed uh, for the protection and uh, revitalization of our wolves. Thank you for mentioning about that film. And it is, it's it's not a long film and it's very engaging and it's thought provoking and, um, it helps to um, provide a perspective for other people to understand the importance of the wolf and the importance of the wolf to indigenous cultures and why the wolf is really important to, you know, everyone here now that lives here. And it, it's, it's not, it's not just a, um, a situation that pertains to the wolf, it pertains to all of us. And I really liked how um, there's this understanding after you watch that film. Yeah. It's very and important to understand how it's, it's, uh, uh, this is, um, I, I don't know how to explain it, but like just knowing that the wolf is your ancestor and there is this lineage and this knowledge that is provided that is so important that we can't miss out on that. Yeah, I think it's a good opportunity just to learn more and be part of something, even if you're uh, watching the film, you're educating yourself and you're yeah. doing something 
you're not just sitting back. And um, I think that's going to be so important to do. I, I enjoyed watching it and um, it really uh, uh, connected me in the way with the other tribes that, you know, I think are um, coming together. And I think it's a beautiful way uh, that, you know, it, that's being shown to us that um, we're not working in isolation and we mm -hmm. do have um, a collective way we can come together. And it's uh, been our responsibility as people from the t beginning of time uh, to take care of our relatives. So, and the wolf is so much um, part of that. So there's uh, an opportunity uh, to support a healing future for the Mexican gray wolves and tribal communities uh, and acknowledging, you know, what's happened to the wolves happened to our indigenous people. Right. So the wrongs of the past, and then speaking about the injustices that are happened that happened and how we could become of a, a better future uh, for, you know, the uh, respects, the lives and the freedom, the safety and the rights of everyone, including our wolves and, and us as human beings. Yes. Thank you for that, Judy. Thank you. What would you suggest people can do to help Indigenous nations ensure the survival of the wolf? Well, I think the the one thing um, is understanding that a lot what we're seeing out there is not the... Um, is the stereotyped and it's uh, um, research that we need to do uh, to get the factual information like what we're doing here today right we're uh, going underneath uh, a lot of the um, information that's just based on fear and uh, stereotypical and learning more about the issue is important we can support uh, the legislation uh, that uh, is being introduced uh, by uh, U.S. Senator uh, Cory Booker, and it's, he's about to introduce legislation that's been influenced from the Wolf Treaty. So maybe in the near future shows you could have more information on that. And uh, I know um, the uh, wolf cullings that are happening, we have to be able to push back on those bills that were passed and signed into law. You know, um, they demonstrate that they're not, you know, only hunting, uh, you know, the wolves to extinction. Uh, they're just continually uh, continuing the colonial doctrine of discovery and just, you know, wiping out the wolves really and wiping out our people. So, um, you know, how, how does, how, how do we t together work together, you know, working on the legislation protection and, you know, not accepting those uh, changes that were made because uh, our wolves are so many are being killed uh, during that time. So the delisting was really critical. We need to, you know, get the protections back. And also, um, you know, we have to be able to save, save the, the, the life of the wolves, uh, to save our own selves and uh, what we're doing, uh, to humanity. Yes. And then, yeah, so there's a lot 
people can do. Uh, I hope your podcast reaches a lot of people and uh, that we continue this discussion and we continue uh, finding ways to work together collaboratively. They can sign the Wolf Treaty is another way. Uh, and also, I think the other part is become part of the solution, not just the bystander uh, when all of these cullings and, uh, you know, um, removal of the wolves happen. I think it's going to be really important and be more involved. And then in, in work, as we talked about, bringing in the uh, traditional ecological knowledge, I think that's important uh, for that conflict reduction. I think we talked about that. Yeah, we did. And it's really going to be really important. And we must not let the state, provincial, and federal governments continue to define the issues as environmental or wildlife. Uh, I think that's a na another narrow view that they do. So they kind of rule out our culture and they rule out uh, the interconnections and they rule out um, how it's part of a bigger picture. And most um, definitely. And, that is not know, considered at all. Yeah, no, and, you know, it's uh, also a social justice issue because what's happened to the uh, wolves happened to our Indigenous people. So, you know, they just try to narrow the narrow it so that they don't have to have accountability. So we have to push for that accountability. And, you know, I think with our, our connection uh, with the wolves, and so many people are big becoming connected like yourself what you're saying the wolf is like calling you so the wolf spirit is calling you mm -hmm. uh, because the wolves need the help right now so they're calling many nations right now of all different walks of life i've seen people come forward and ask the same questions you ask what can i do um how can i support this uh these protections and the work that's being done by the tribes and you know by the nations and uh, so an individual um, can be very effective, you know, so especially when we collectively come together. So we can't stand uh, on the sidelines to see the decimation of the wolf, you know, no. and, and also make that connection that's part of what happened to our Indigenous peoples. So, you know, they um, our tribal people and the people that are coming together that the wolves calling together, you know, is demonstrating that unity uh, that we need. And the wolf treaty is an example of that. And I, and I think that was a, a very key point to share with listeners is that what's happening to the wolves happened to indigenous people. There is a very strong connection there and um, the interconnectedness is so important. And what's happening is there's many people that are short-sighted. They're not, seeing the bigger picture of what's happening when we decimate um, these respected species. I did want to just mention to listeners that in the United States, wolves are listed on the endangered species list, except in the Northern Rockies, but that is a huge area and it includes Idaho, Montana, most of Wyoming, parts of Eastern Oregon, Washington, and Northern Utah. So um, that is a big region. It's huge. And so and those are all state run. So Idaho yes. plans on killing 60% of its wolves. 
yeah, it's not acceptable uh, to totally wipe out those wolf families, those populations. And no. uh, for what purpose, right? And uh, the uh, mountains that you're talking about, you know, they extend into north of the border. So they af- affect our wolves here as well. So right. it's all connected. And uh, that's the important work we, we have to be able to do is not accept those unilateral uh, state and U.S. Uh, fish and wildlife decisions. Uh, they, they weren't uh, involving our nations and also a lot of the public they didn't involve in you know, like unilateral decisions uh, and, the, and the lives of those uh, packs, wolf packs, the families that they're affecting being just wiped out forever and uh, at a time where they should be protected. At a time where they should be protected, they have the right to be protected. And we actually really need their presence right now in the ecosystem. Yeah, everywhere, all through Turtle Island, through North America, uh, we should be uh, including the wolves in that uh, climate change management and ecosystem protection. Uh, that way, they're part of of that recovery we need. Right, Exactly. Judy, it has been an honor to speak with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and um, share your message with us and so that this message can be spread out far and wide. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, the collective knowledge I have is just working with a lot of the knowledge keepers and our elders and our different people in ceremony uh, throughout the different lands. And the Wolf Treaty was, you know, part of a, a big movement where the tribes were coming together with their own laws and it was through ceremony. So I was just glad to be part of it uh, through the Global Indigenous Council and uh, to work with these uh, amazing, amazing people that, you know, are doing a lot of this work in their own tribes. So I just wanted to honor them. It's not me. I, I'm learning from them and I'm supporting them and I just advocate uh, what I'm hearing and learning. And that's part of our laws. We don't put ourselves uh, uh, up higher than others, especially, you know, especially the wolves that taught us all of this uh, since time immemorial. Uh, It's really originating uh, a lot of the knowledge is originating and has originated from our wolf, uh, wolves who are our ancestors. Thank you, Judy.